Everyone loves a good story, and Jesus is a master storyteller. The stories Jesus tells are called parables. Parables are an ancient way of telling stories that are simple yet riddled to carry deeper meaning. In parables, Jesus shares a vision for the kingdom of God, giving his listeners hope that all things are headed somewhere good toward wholeness and restoration, the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells parables about God's kingdom because God's kingdom is so different than what we understand about kingdoms. Doesn't empire always use coercive domination and power? Not God's kingdom. This empire is one of self-giving love. And it's so hard for us to understand and see. So Jesus uses parables to get the attention of his listeners then and now about this very different vision of God's kingdom. And it may repel us at times, as it did some people of Jesus's time. They weren't ready to see what God was up to in this new movement of love. We may be there at times too. Or these parables may hook us and evoke our desire and expand our imagination and arouse curiosity about who God is and what God is doing now. Now, when all that we see in our world feels like the other kingdoms have won. Now, when we want hope too. And you may be surprised by some of the qualities parables boast. You might be shocked at who this God is that we find. You might just find yourself with eyes to see and ears to hear how the kingdom of God is here now within you and all around you as you develop these parable deciphering skills to see the kingdom of God in your stories and our stories and the world's stories every day. As God's kingdom comes here on earth as in heaven, and we together learn to live in the reign of God's hidden, subversive, and prophetic kingdom of love. Everybody loves a good story. So let's spend our summer at Salt House listening to the master storyteller, Jesus, and his parables. All right. I, um, we, we tend to make these trailers, right, for our sermon series. Where we're going to kind of set the, like, here we are. We're continuing this conversation. And um, I wrote the words with some good, like, feedback from Ryan and Zach. But then Jason always makes it into something visual. And, like, that's just the first time I saw it, too. So that was, like, that was awesome. Like, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jason. And those are some images from the Bible Project, just to give them credit. Jason did not do all the, like, animation. Yeah, he did not. He didn't do that part. But, oh, friends, um, Good morning. I'm, um, I'm still riding some up and, down, up and downs with my concussion symptoms, and so I have a little bit of wobble that I can feel in my body today. And last time I got up here, and it was like, it's like I needed to do that, and like I felt like that helped me. I don't know if that's going to happen today. <laughs> so I might need to read more. I'll just kind of do what I need to do, but just know that's might stumble with my words. But, um, but I know God's here, so let's, let's do this thing. Thank you. Oh, yeah, so keep that breath moving in your body as we open up to what God has to say. And we're just going to dive into our parable for today. So last Sunday, Pastor Ryan preached, like, the shortest parable. Would you remember about the yeast? Yes. And today I'm doing, like, the longest one. So um, nice little juxtaposition. And I invite you, we're going to read this in a second, and I invite you, as we do, as we have been, uh, just to really listen openly and envision this parable. Pay attention to see if something grabs you or interests you. Really, I invite you to ask, like, what is God saying to you in this text? So we'll have it on the screen, but it's also on that bulletin insert. If you've got a bulletin, you can pull that out. 
Um, so just like keep that with you. Uh, it's Luke 15, and we're going to start in verse 11, but Luke 15 is uh, uh, before we get to where we're starting. Uh, it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were all grumbling. <sighs> Remember? These guys like to grumble, and they say, the man, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus then shares these three parables. So the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and continues into our parable for today, the parable of the lost son. So you get a feel for where Jesus is headed thematically in Luke 15, Yes. And uh, just, again, imagine the scene as it unfolds, as uh, Jesus tells these, I just imagine him kind of giving the side eye to the Pharisees as he's doing it, as he speaks about the kingdom of God. So Jim's going to come on up to read it for us, so come on up. And it's super long, so we usually like to listen to it twice, but we're just going to do it once, just to really slow and juicy for us, Jim, okay? Okay. All right. Deep, deep breath. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to their father, give me the share of the estate that's coming to me. So the father divided up the property between them. Some days later, the younger son gathered up his belongings and went off to a distant land. Here, he squandered all of his money on loose living. After everything was spent, a great famine broke out in the land, and the son was in great need. So he went to a landowner who sent him to a farm to take care of the pigs. The son was so hungry that he could have eaten the husks that were fodder for the pigs, but no one made a move to give him anything. Coming to his senses at last, he said, How many hired hands at my father's house have more than enough to eat while I'm here starving? I'll quit and I'll go back home and say, I've sinned against God and against you. I no longer deserve to be called one of your children. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So with that, the younger son set off for home. While still a long ways off, the father caught sight of the returning child, and he was deeply moved. The father ran out to meet him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, I've sinned against God and against you. I no longer deserve to be called one of your children. But his father said to one of the workers, Quick, bring out the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Take the calf that we've been fattening and butcher it. Let's eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. And the celebration began. Meanwhile, the older son, who's out in the field, uh, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the workers and asked what was happening. 
the worker answered, well, your, your brother's home, and the fattened calf has been killed because your father has him back safe and sound. The older son got angry at this and refused to go into the party. But his father came out and pleaded with him. The older son replied, look, for years now, I've done every single thing that you asked me to do. I never disobeyed even one of your orders. Yet, you never gave me so much as a kid goat to celebrate with my friends. But then, this son of yours comes home after going through all your money with prostitutes, and you kill the fattened calf for him. But my child, the father said, you're with me always, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice. This brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he's found. Thank you, Jim. Oh, man. So the parable, also known as the parable of the prodigal son or the generous father. So take a moment just to check in with yourself. Like, what did you hear in this? What came up for you? So let the parable then just kind of stay with you and continue to percolate, and then we'll come back to it in a few minutes. And we're going to, as we have been, we're going to have some time to share what's coming up for you, so know that that is coming as well. So part of becoming a pastor in the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which is uh, the denomination that we are affiliated with, so as part of the training for wannabe pastors, these seminarians... Uh, participate in clinical pastoral education, or CPE, which is three or four months in a cohort experience in a hospital or a jail setting as a chaplain. So I served as a CPE chaplain the summer of 2005 at California Pacific Medical Center in San Francisco. The coldest winter I've ever faced was a summer in San Francisco. <laughs> it was crazy, like putting my wool jacket. Anyway, it was, it was good. But along with five other seminarians, I was assigned to certain floors in the hospital that's, that is like my regular assigned room, so that that's where I would do my rounds. And that spanned across their three campuses around San Francisco. So I would visit patients, and that included part of my territory was the NICU, the Newborn Intensive Care Unit, unit as well as a residential Alzheimer's floor. And I also served uh, my, my turn uh, rotating through as the on-call chaplain. So that entailed sleeping at a, if you could get any sleep, sleeping at a designated hotel near the hospital so you could be available when those calls came in. So the intention of CPE is not only to have experience as a chaplain, so like stepping into spaces of life and death, of faith and doubt, of bodily fluids and like emotionally charged family systems, as a spiritual presence, right? That's part of it. But it's also to do intentional group work, processing what comes, us, comes, comes up in us as we do this chaplaincy work. Because there's nothing like being present for suffering and death that brings up your own story and your own baggage, right? So about half of our time was spent on the floors visiting patients, while the other half was spent in supervision conversations and doing group work as well. So we'd have like learning sessions where they'd teach us things, but then also we'd do processing sessions where each of us would present a verbatim. So it'd be, I walked into the, into the room and I said this, and then the patient said this. So like word by word playing through a conversation that had happened in one of our, vis one of our visits. 
And then the group would then look at that and just like pick it apart. It's like, oh, did you do that because you're an only child and you always want all the attention? Or, you know, like they'd just like be all these like, why did you really say that? Or why didn't you say this? Or what about this? Did you consider this? I know, you wish you could have done CPE too, right? I know. So I learned a lot that summer, and it was, it was really emotionally a lot. Um, but one of my greatest learnings about myself came in the feedback one day from my supervisor. And she said to me in one of our group sessions, she said, Sarah, it seems like you are constantly, like in your own mind, evaluating how you're doing, like assessing whether you're doing a good job or a bad job. It, it seems like you are really, really critical with yourself. And as she said this, like what I experienced in my body at that moment, it was like, okay, I don't know if you know this, but in filmmaking, there's something called a dolly zoom, which is, are you familiar with this? So it's where the, um, it's a trick where the camera sits on a dolly and it, it moves closer to the shot, and yet they're zooming out at the same time. So it gives you this weird, ah, effect. They used it like in the Lord of the Rings when the ring wraiths would show up, if you know what I'm talking about. It was like, whoop, you know, you get that feeling. And like, that's what I would describe what was happening in my body when she said that. It was like, ah, it was like, oh my gosh, this like complete freaky disorientation of like, oh shit, like she is so right. And I had no idea, I had no idea that this was what I was always playing in my head, that I was always evaluating, always trying to do the right thing, anticipate how to do a good job, and because doing good meant that I was good, which was just flabbergasting to me. Like I had no idea that I had this internal critical voice. I just, I'd always thought I was a really nice person when it turned out I could be quite merciless and, and critical with myself. So that's the moment that I learned I was a perfectionist and nothing has been the same since. <laughs> uh, but in a really good, like challenging, like self-aware way. So as I share just this little bit of my own story, I wonder what comes up for you as you hear that. Well, whatever it is, let's take it, shall we, back into our parable for today. I love how Rob Bell has read and interpreted this parable of the prodigal son, so I'm going to draw largely from him in, in this interpretation. But our parable for today. So Jesus tells a story about a man who has two sons, and one son says to the father, I want my share of the inheritance. Which, in first century Jewish culture, was like the most offensive possible thing you could say because the father only gave out the inheritance when the father died. So essentially, the son is saying, F you, dad. I just want your money. I wish you were dead. And in a patriarchal Middle Eastern culture at that time, the lack of respect for the father is just like, it's beyond, like beyond what would ever happen. Like you wouldn't ever see this. And this is what parables often do. They have something that's so wacky, so unheard of, so off the wall, or even in this case, it's kind of offensive and we miss these nuances because we're 2,000 years later and we just don't know those nuances. So that's a really fun quality to note about these parables that we're reading, this shock value, okay? Parables often have a rebellious, shocking piece to them. So be curious whenever you read a parable, if you're like, that seems like pretty innocuous, like go back and just to check, like dig a little deeper because there might be something going on there. So that shock value, that wait, what, hang on a minute, that's what Jesus used to like get folks' attention and like reel them in to learn more about the kingdom of God. You got it? Yeah. So then that the father grants the son's request 
and the son takes the money and splits, like that's even crazier, okay? So the son goes away and then he crashes and hits rock bottom and he realizes, man, I would be better off like working for my dad than I am here, right? So the son, he's coming home and he begins rehearsing his speech to his father uh, as he'll beg to be hired, right? He's broken, he blew it, he's at the end of his rope and part of his speech is, I no longer deserve to be called your child. I'm not worthy of that. So here's the thing. Like what I discovered in CPE about myself. Whether or not we know it, we each have a story that we are telling ourselves about ourselves, about who we are and our own worth, right? We have a tape that plays in our head. We each do. Sometimes, uh, like this younger son, it, it is a tape that's saying, you know, we are not worthy that we blew it, that we aren't smart, that we aren't thin enough, that we aren't strong enough, that we aren't accomplished enough, that so-and-so, man, they're better, they, they can work harder, they have more energy, they're more disciplined, they're more upright, whatever. Other times, it's actually, it could be a bloated story about our, our ego, right, the, how awesome we think we are, but we all have a story that we are telling ourselves about our worth and value. So the son gets home, and before he could even get into his speech, the father runs to him. Again, do you know this? Like, wealthy men at that time, they do not run. Like, that is, like, not something that they do, right? So that's another, like, shocking thing that he does. And the father says, give him a robe. Well, that's a sign that this is his son, right? That he belongs. So give him that robe. And the son, so as he's returning home, the father has a different story about him, right? Right? The father says, my son was lost, but now he's found, he was dead, but now he's alive. Like the father has a different narrative about who his son is. And in the father's eyes, he's like, this is my boy. The younger son in that moment has a decision. Do I trust my version of my story? Am I no longer worthy to be called your child? Or do I trust my father's version of my story, which is, Kill the fatted calf, let's party, put a robe on this kid. This is my child. So does he cling to his version of his story or trust his father's version of his story? Now the older brother, he sees all this going down, and how does the older brother feel about the party? Man, he is seriously hacked off, right? He wants nothing to do with this party. He, he comes and he begins essentially, to present his case to his dad. Like, what are you doing? And then you find out his bitterness, right? You never even gave me a goat so I could party with my friends, which a goat is, like, really meager, not a lot of meat. So even when it says, man, couldn't you even at least throw me a party? He's like, you didn't even give me a goat, right? The older brother basically makes his case as this. I've been here the whole time playing the good son, and now this other son of yours who squandered it all shows up and you'll party for him. Man, he's mad. And his premise is, I have worked all these years for you. Don't I deserve something? And doesn't he not? Now think about that. The older brother has a story he is telling about himself as well. So for the younger brother, his story is, I am not worthy 
The older brother's story is, I am worthy because of all of what I've done. I earned this. I am your son because of all these years I played by the rules and worked hard. Like, I am good. Which we can get. Yes, I know I can. (laughs) It's the, I did the right things. I didn't do that and that and that. I suffered in this way for the cause. I've been a good child. I showed up at all the right times. I've checked the right boxes. Doesn't that gain me something? I am worthy because of what I've done. So the father tells, though, a different version of this older brother's story too, right? The father says, oh, but you are with me always and everything I have is yours. You are with me always and everything I have is yours. See, what the father does is the father has the father's version of the son's story and the father's version is, oh yeah, all those years and all that work that that you did, all that loyalty, that didn't earn you being my child. You had it, you had it all the whole time because you are with me always and everything I have is yours. Isn't that just gorgeous? Like, what a response. Yet, can I also just be honest about how with both sons, my instinct is that the father is wrong. Like, if I'm completely honest with you, I'm like, man, with the younger son, that is not the right parenting decision, right? I'm like, where is the natural consequence? I mean, I'm not saying, like, the son needs to become the hired hand. You just, like, send him to his room or something and, like, make him think about what he's done. or You know, like, like, that's just, it doesn't make sense. And with the older son, I'm, like, totally on his side. Like, I am the older son. You know, like, I, I do the right things. Not always, but I try, and, but, I, but I know this line of thinking. Like, I did the things. Don't I deserve it? I'm also the younger son, for I also know that feeling of failure or messing up and not feeling worthy and facing the consequences of that, too. So, like, all of this just doesn't line up, right? And I just wonder, if you're honest, does that all land with you with a hang on a minute, like, <laughs> with that father guys and handling this the right way? Like, does that come up for you? Or maybe you're a more gracious person than I am, and that's totally great too. But I, this is again one of those places, like it should ruffle our feathers a bit. Because again, this is like the shocking, offensive, mind blowing piece of the story. Parables should ruffle us, be like, ooh, that doesn't seem right, and mess with us as they reveal what God's kingdom is like, which is always beyond what we think is possible and what we think should be, which is exactly what's happening here. Because in this parable, this is a father who does the unthinkably generous thing. And the father represents God, correct? Like, let's make that leap, right? And of all the lines of dialogue that Jesus can put on the lips of the father, of the God character in this parable, the line that he puts isn't, go to your room and think about what you've done. Or even like, you're right, you earned it, here's your reward. The line from God's lips is, you are with me always and everything I have is yours. Even for someone who doesn't believe in God. And whether someone has incredible baggage from the past about what God is like, like to me, like the beautiful starting point about God or how to view the divine is to begin here. With you are with me always and everything I have is yours. This is who God is, like straight out of Jesus' mouth. 
And Jesus is using this parable saying, see, each son has their own version of their story and the father confronts each son with the father's version of their story. And this is, we, what, is what we let Jesus speak to us today too. Here's why we go back through this very familiar parable, which you likely have heard before from this perspective, to let God's version of your story confront your version. Will we trust what the Father says about us? You and I, we are trusting a story about ourselves, and the reason why this is so unbelievably crucial for us to call out on a Sunday morning in a church worship service where we are gathered around the story of Jesus, it's crucial because for many people, the fundamental way that spirituality was explained was in terms of transaction. So transaction or transactionalism, right? It's the idea that somebody has done something for you, namely in this case, God has done something for you and here is what you have to do for God in order to make whatever God has done for you be effective. So in some Christian traditions, God sent Jesus to die on the cross. So here's what you have to do. You have to believe and behave in these very specific ways. And if you do them, then what Jesus did on the cross for you will be effective for you. So it's, it's all based in transaction. And when we do that, then this whole movement of Jesus and the kingdom of God like boils down to, well, what do I got to do, right? And the question becomes, have I done enough this week? Have I done enough today? Is that acceptable? And then denominations and church communities have to essentially create their own criteria to make sure that the transaction has taken place have you heard a sermon before where you were basically beaten up for all the things you weren't doing? And even though there's a lot of like Bible verses and God and Jesus language, underneath it was this giant example of transactionalism. Like you are bad and if you would just do this and this and this, then perhaps things would get better. And honestly, I'm sure I slip into it too because it's so wired into American Christianity, not to mention our wider culture, right? Which again... We call it out because it's so contrary to what Jesus says here in this parable. Does Jesus' death and resurrection matter? Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, and are there things that we do in response to that? Absolutely. And Jesus also makes it clear that the kingdom of God isn't about proving our, our worth or getting it all right so that we can access it. But Jesus is saying, just be with God because we are. God's words in this parable are spoken to us now. You are with me always, and everything I have is yours. That's the way that it is. So my friends, today, I invite you to be curious about the story you are telling yourself about your worth. What is your story? Mine, you know, again, like, I can, feel, I can feel it for, like, both of the brothers, right? Like, I do not feel worthy a lot of the time, especially when I fail. So I work real darn hard all the time to make failure, like, as minimal as possible. What's your story? And let's be honest, like, it's hard to decipher those core hidden stories in us. I had no idea that I had my story in me until someone named it for me, right? I wonder if you've had moments of insight like that where... You just came to see your own hidden subconscious story that you were telling about yourself. Maybe it happened in therapy, or maybe you had your own kind of encounter with God. 
and heard it in your own way that you are with me always and all that I have is yours. So my friends, name your story. And then, as Jesus says here, let this parable confront you. Can you trust that this is who God says you are? Can you trust that this is who you are when you have failed and feel unworthy or that it isn't based on doing the right things and being awesome? Side note, obviously, like, God exists beyond language and gender, but these images of a father and two sons in an ancient Middle Eastern context can be amazingly powerful, right? As it asks of us, whose version of your story will you trust? Can you trust God's version of you? So for me, it's been 17 years since uh, that awakening I had at CPE where I realized I was a perfectionist and man, though I could be a nice person, I had a lot to learn about extending that kindness to myself. And that day was like, it wasn't like, oh good, now I've got to figure it out, thanks. Um, so like that was just the beginning, right? The beginning of deciphering all the subtle, persistent, subconscious stories that I tell myself. And I spent years just learning how to speak truth to my critical voice by letting God confront it, right? And say who I really am. And it's, and it's not like that voice has ever stopped, right? Like this, we ask these questions knowing that it's never quite all sorted. And yet we get to pay attention to the ways in which that voice changes as we live through change too. Man, and it's, the same, it's true for all of us. So what is your story? What is that voice about your worth saying about you now in this particular moment that you're living in? Man, so, as you hold that, also, we want to see if there are things that you want to share with the wider, wider room and online space. So, parables are meant to stir you about the kingdom of God. So, what is going on in you right now? We want to hear about it. So, we're just going to take a couple responses. Brian has the mic. We'll come to you, um, as we've done the last two Sundays. And as we said, you don't ha- it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be, like, sorted out and thought through, but it really is speaking to what God is saying and doing in you. And do you remember this is live streamed um, on Facebook and YouTube, folks? We lo- online, we would love to see that in the comics, comics, in the comments as well. So friends, what's, what's coming up? What's something God is saying to you today about your story that you tell yourself? Have to walk. Yeah. That's why I walk in nature. Yeah. And it's helped me through my hardest times of abuse, yeah. of hurt, and everything else. Just lifting people back up is how I heal my heart. It's beautiful. Thank you. I know. We perfectionists need people to push against us a little bit sometimes. It's good. Yeah. Um, I've often related to both the brothers in most of my life, but I've been really leaning into um, trying to embody, I guess, the the God character in this story of being able to invite and celebrate back when someone, like, steps back into my life like that. Yeah. Um, That's been something that's been on my heart a lot recently. That's beautiful. Thank you. 
Hello, I'm Hi. Jessica. Um, but yeah, I think part of it for me is like accepting God's love, you know, yeah. like fully letting that happen. Yeah. So I think that can be really hard sometimes. Absolutely. Because it's like, oh, you're not worthy enough. But yeah. Yeah. But Re- we are. <laughs> I know. Resonate with that. Thank you. As I listened to this, I reflected on the time when I was struggling to come out to my parents. Yeah. And I feel like I almost was kind of deconstructing it. I got to the point where I knew that God was going to be with me always. Yeah. Which then pushed me to the decision to talk to my parents. Mm. I wasn't squandering their money. I was squandering something more precious, honest time with them. Yeah. But I did it in a way that I had to accept that I may not deserve to be their son, and they may may disown me, but because I knew going into it that God was with me always, it worked out beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you, friends. So your mission, if you choose to accept it, is, uh, is to take on this parable, to let it live with you this week. The lost son, Luke 15, you can take that bulletin insert home with you if you would like and just see what, continue to see what Jesus has to say to you about who you are, about who he is, and what God is up to in the world right now. And let God's story about you confront your story about you. Receive that acceptance, right? Like live into the acceptance of that. I love that this is part of this way of Jesus that invites us into this kind of life-shaping kingdom of God work. How we get to celebrate that Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God is not an announcement of like all the terrible things that you've done, right? The kingdom of God is an announcement about who you are. It's an announcement of our true self. It is good news because it's a massive reminder of who you are as a child of God. The New Testament, it's like one big long love letter, a love story as an announcement of new identity. People are referred to as saints in the New Testament. That means holy ones. Do we still make a mess of things? Absolutely. Like, is there still bad news with that good news? Absolutely. But the story that you are telling yourself deeply shapes how you live in this world. And if you let Jesus' words be true, at your deepest core, that you are worthy, you tend to act in certain ways that flow out of that, yes? That's living into the kingdom of God here and now. Isn't that remarkable? Friends, let's pray. If I could just open your hands on your lap and just feel that as a way, a sign of opening to God. God, it is a hard time to be alive in this world with the weight of so many things, globally, locally, and intimately in our own families and in our own bodies. So God, be with us in this moment now as we let rise to the surface our pain and longing that we carry. You know what we need, and you know how to speak loving truth to us as our divine, loving parent. So let us experience and trust your story about us now as beloved child, as having what we need, as never alone, for you are with us always and everything you have is ours. 
So thank you, God, that this is what your kingdom is like. This is who you are, and this is who we are as yours. And again, this is truly remarkable. So thanks be to you, God. Amen. Amen.